This episode of First Strike is brought to you by MTG X-Ray. MTG X-Ray is an app that provides automated deck building suggestions. You can head over to mtgxray.com to get the latest version. The website itself is going to have a lot of added features, so head over to mtgxray.com today and post your brews. In the house, along with myself. Before such, show up on our sponsor, faceofacegames.com, the number one place to get your Magic the Gathering singles. This week, 15% off all Magic or TCG type supplies. So get your sleeves, get your binders, um, get all those deck boxes that you've wanted. Like, this is the best time to get them. So head to faceofacegames.com, click on the front banner, and you'll see all the supplies that are on special. Also, check out more support our stuff, go to patreon.com slash first strike. Exciting episode with uh, this week being Mythic Championship 3. Going to have all these challenges coming in and, and fighting. Uh, but before that, uh, me and Andy both battled it out at our uh, own respective MCQs while, while Elliot probably had a far more productive uh, weekend. So, so Elliot, dive into your weekend. Let's go to the non-magic first. Uh, well, on Saturday, I, I drank a lot of alcohol and roasted a lamb. And then on Sunday, I went golfing and uh, had a lot of fun and didn't lose any magic. I didn't, I didn't lose a single match. Undefeated. I'm jealous. Very jealous. <laughs> uh, how was your weekend, Andy? Well, it, uh, it began on a rocky, a rocky uh, road. So I slept through my alarm and missed my ride to the PTU. And uh, my fiance saw how devastated I was because I had an entire deck for some, one of my friends and some cards for friends. And she's like, if we left right now, would you make it there on time? And I said, yes. <laughs> so we left uh, and we got there. I showed up at 9.55, the PTQ started at 10, and then she drove all the way back home by herself, like two-hour drive, two-hour, 20-minute. So she was the MVP there, but uh, I've never squ squandered such good faith. I uh, immediately started O2, playing Bant Ramp, and I think I have never misevaluated a potential metagame worse in my entire life. I, based on all the results on all the tournaments, Mono Red was sh like showing to be like a poor performer and not a good choice. And I get to this MCQ and I'm like, I'm going to play Bant Ramp because it beats up all of the, the Asper decks who uh, well, should be there in full toe. Toronto loves those kind of decks. And I get there and uh, the room is like 35% Mono Red at least. Like I round one, I play against Mono Red. Next to me is a Mono Red Mirror. And next to me on the other side is Mono Red versus another deck. Round two, I play against Mono Red. Next to me, Mono Red Mirror. Next to me, Mono Red Mirror. And I realized that I had no chance of winning this tournament. So I started 0-2, just getting kind of crushed by Mono Red. Their draws were both very good, and I stumbled. 
And I think uh, Bant Ramp is a terrible choice for the, for that kind of metagame, even though one did end up top eighting, I believe. I think they might have I think they were playing the exact same main deck as me. And it did not matter for me at least. I think like the goal is like if you start two oh, you're like a, a super favorite because you're gonna beat up all the winners metagame. But the problem is uh, starting two oh with the field that full of mono red. So I felt pretty silly about my choice when there's just like Esper's a really good deck. I really was on the Esper control deck as well a little earlier than most, but I convinced myself I couldn't play it because it didn't have a reasonable enough uh, clock against mono red. And I kind of got punished by playing a deck much worse against mono red. I am surprised by that, Andy. Like, I don't think the one that I played, which I also started off 0-2, um, I didn't think there were that much mono red at the uh, Ballet Carl uh, MCQ here in Montreal. Um, I, I don't know what to tell you. Yeah, I just got it wrong. I kind of, I was just thinking about like the, some of the higher echelon players that I knew would be in Toronto, and I knew they wouldn't play red, especially after how poorly it's done the last few weeks. And I forgot about everyone else who will show up with mono red. And it actually won the tournament in the hands of a pretty good player, but. It was uh, it was tough to see for me to kind of squander away a weekend of magic, miss a weekend of work just so I could uh, kind of blow it. So I felt pretty bad about the the tournament, but uh, I got home and realized that now I don't have to worry about standard. I can just test modern, and I felt worse. <laughs> did your did your friends um, did you say you, your friends needed some of the cards that, that you needed to bring? Were they stressed out? I told my one friend, I was like, listen, if I don't make it in time for round one, I'll pay for the PTQ. Okay. And I think I'll get there in time. And then the other person, like, whatever, they'll buy two Kefnets. Like, they'll have to deal with it. <laughs> but the, the other friend, it was the whole deck. It was like 68 of the 75 or something. Uh, back to your deck, uh, to, to ask you a few questions before uh, we move on to, to my tournament is... Uh, the bad deck, I think one of the things I mentioned from last show was I wasn't sure about the exact configuration of which mana uh, dork that you wanted. Uh, did you want to go you know, more white finality, more entrancing melody, even at the top, more mass manipulation. There's some debate over those slots, and you got a message for Strike Hosts group about our thoughts. And uh, so what came, what made you decide on what you decided, and what do you think would have been the right configuration uh, I guess moving forward. So I got a list from uh, a Toronto grinder, Tyler Nightingale, and uh, he told me a lot of the things that he liked about the list. And he told me to cut Incubation Druid and play Growth Spiral. That change panned out very well because whenever I drew Growth Spiral against the Mono Red decks, it was so much better than Incubation Druid ever could have been, and it was a better top deck. But uh, I ended up playing three mass manipulations and that card is just one of the worst cards in the deck. It's one of the worst cards imaginable. It costs four blue. I was stuck not being able to cast it multiple times. And I, I really regretted it because I had a list that I liked before that was like Tristani and uh, the immortal Sun. I think the immortal Sun's bad too, but um, yeah. So Tristani and played Shalai and I really like Shalai. I liked Tristani, and I just uh, didn't go with my gut, so I kind of got punished, I think, because I think I played a much worse version of the deck. Um, 
Yeah, like at both me and Elliot. Well, I think Elliot, were you on, on the same uh, wavelength as me? I was thinking like mono red might not be popular, so Druid would be better. And Druid is, I felt like a lot of games, I needed Druid to be able to cast those mass manipulations. Uh, well, I thought that mono red would be a low percentage of the winner's metagame. But when you go to these types of tournaments where uh, like 50 plus percent of the field is not going to be super, super enfranchised players who are going to be tuning like their deck and completely shifting decks week to week. I think you have to expect like a decent chunk of mono red. Uh, the 30% Andy saw, I don't know if you can even begin to predict it would be that high, uh, but I, I think it's a deck you can expect to play against once or twice in this type of tournament. Um, but I do agree that I think Incubation Druid was the right choice. I think that Growth Spiral is like borderline heinous just because Mass Manipulation is some of, is one of your best cards against uh, the Mirror and some of the other green decks. Uh, and that's why Incubation Druid is so important because you need the blue sources in your deck. So just like Andy was saying that Mass Manipulation was really poor for him because, you know, you need quad blue, you know, like cutting blue cards and playing Mass Manipulation or cutting blue sources and playing Mass Manipulation is not something I think is a good idea. But you know, I think it's it's maybe two directions you could take with the deck: playing uh, growth spirals and no mass manipulations, or playing incubation druid and mass manipulation. I think that's maybe the decision point going forward. If there was something to go forward to. <laughs> hey, there's still I'm still grinding to try to hit mythic, so I think there is some standard to be played. Um, I was told that the immortal sun is like heinous because no, like every deck has an answer because all the Esper decks are playing a, a bunch of, a couple of main deck uh, D-Sparks now. So that, that they basically, the people I talked to who've played a lot of bands said, like, demanded I cannot play that card. I can play other stuff. I'm not allowed to play the Immortal Sun. <laughs> um, so I, I ended up playing, I won the Arena Super Cup with, with White Weenie, and heading into this week, I thought that Esper decks were going to be more popular that there were going to be more cries, more Kaya's Wrath, and in that type of metagame, I, just white weenie, I think it's terrible. Um, so I didn't know, I just know that, uh, based on something we talked about before also, that I didn't want to play a, a grindy deck. So when I saw Strasky posting a Gruel deck that he's been doing well in the Mythic ranks, like being able to maintain number three, and then I think I saw someone else that they did try their list and that felt really good I said to, to play it but um, I, I think it's something we again we mentioned already probably on the show the, the problem with Gruul in this format is that it doesn't have any strong um, answers in the deck it can't come back from, from behind and I was I lost to a Dreadhorde deck when uh, the Wild Growth Walkers were too big and even though I had an early Immortal Sun which is uh, one of the better cards with sweet cards to shut down their Tamiel, to shut down their Sorin and all their other stuff. It was um, it was useless because I couldn't even use my own Dominate to kill the Wild Growth Walker with my whether it be my Null High Ferox or, or anything that I had going on. So I don't I don't really like playing Gruel and um, decided to even play more games with it on Arena and I'm still left unimpressed uh, by the by the archetype and. Uh, that's going to be interesting to talk about because uh, some of the Mythic Championship participants ended up packing Gruel and some of them are, are notable players, uh, especially um, Huey Jensen decided to, to bring Gruel. 
And I think we can just jump right to it. Um, my tournament was won by Esper Hero, I think, by Philip Garreau, or, or some version of, of Esper. Um, so I, I think we can move on to the Mythic Championship, uh, Andy, right? Is there any... Yeah, let's uh, not talk about my tournament ever. <laughs> we both started O2, which is hilarious. Um, yeah, let's go to the, the championship. The interesting format. Um, I had, damn it, I closed the event information, but <laughs> a three-day event where uh, four people who finished at the top of their division during the MPL, they get... I thought it might be like a one-round buyout, but no, they get they jump straight to day two, which is hella sweet. And uh, we're going to be like picking, we're not going to be drafting, but picking some players, three MPL players, three challengers that we can will do well, and uh, restricting ourselves to just one maximum one of the people that ended up getting seeded into day two automatically. Um, but heading into um, Looking at all the deck lists that have been posted, Andy, I have to ask you, because you, you mentioned how you might have been playing Esper, and you played Esper Hero at the beginning of the format with um, with Derek, right? Derek was playing it, and then there were just, like, some amount of evolution going on, even at the beginning, like, you play Elite Guard Major now and stuff like that. Um, so I, I was wondering what you think about the evolution of the Esper list. Um, have, have you looked at the, the ones that were registered? Uh, yeah, I have. So I noticed there's tons of Esper control. And I actually was like, I was getting right really close to these deck lists just with like how I felt about how I wanted these decks to play out. I was like, I feel like the card hero is, is only good like on the play. And sometimes it makes your, not on the play, but like on turn two. And sometimes it makes your draws really awkward. Like when you have it and thought erasure, but you really want to fire the thought erasure off, but then you're going to lose value on your hero. And then you play against decks like Gruul. Or like mono, not mono white, but like gruel, like the big creature deck trying to like swarm you. And sometimes hero just doesn't do a, a goddamn thing against them, and they shock it or lightning strike it and move on with all these big creatures that you actually don't have a lot of answers for. And so I started thinking, all I want to do is have Kaya's Wrath and these Planeswalkers because all these Planeswalkers are so crazy good. And like finding a way to win would be an afterthought. But the thing is, because of mono red. Winning is not an afterthought. You have to like kill them relatively quickly because they're they have such a great ability to go over the top of you with experimental frenzy. And so I ended up kind of chickening out and playing uh, Bam Ramp instead. But I like the the Esper control lists, and I think that uh, with enough answers to the card experimental frenzy, it's possible you can just kind of accept that you'll beat it and gain control of the game anyway. Have you have you had a chance to look at all the lists? Uh, yes. Well, what do you think about the the meta game with with most of a lot of the MPL players ending up on es like Esper? Not surprised. I'm not surprised because it's just like the jund of the format. It's like got fine matchups everywhere. It's not like super terrible against anything, and you can really leverage sequencing just like you can with jund as like a skill of yours to really. Uh, to get your opponent, like the playing your removal spells at the right time can really change the context of how a game plays out. And I think Esper gives you the ability to do that, to do that kind of stuff. And I think there's a, there's a good mix of Esper decks. There's like the three here, Esper three hero of precinct one Esper. There's a BBD Seth and Brad on 
Elite Guard Mage and Hostage Taker. And then there's uh, just the control decks playing a few Bell Haunts. So I'm, uh, there's a lot of different lists. And that's the thing with Espers. There's so many good cards that you can build it in so many different ways. It's kind of really taxing to try and think about how you want to build it. It's so also important to note, sorry, that in a in a small field tournament like this, uh, these players are going to be able to probably relatively accurately predict the metagame. And just as Andy was touching on, Esper is a super flexible deck. Like there's the wide range of Esper decks that we see, but even among those builds, you know, if you if you shut it down to just Esper Control and just Esper Hero, there's a ton of variation and card choices that I think are going to make a big impact on the tournament. Like um, one that Annie and I were talking about earlier is p- people are playing um, Ixlon's Binding again, some number in the sideboard, and the only mortifies in the tournament are the one of in the list of Brian Rondu and Brad Nelson and Seth Manfield, who are all on the same 75. So all of a sudden, you know, yeah, it's a one of, but having access to that is like a huge advantage against either decks playing Ixlon's Binding. There's just like people playing um, the Simic deck as well. Uh, a couple of people on Simic Nexus. So Mortify is a huge boon there. And that's just like a big edge that these three players gained just on predicting that things have shifted away from Mortify enough that people are leaking back and towards playing enchantments. And all of a sudden we need Mortify again. Yeah, that's, that's good insight. So I, I've gone back to finding the tournament information page just for our listeners who are not familiar with the format. Day one's a modified Swiss, 64 players battle out, up to eight rounds on Magic the Gathering Arena. Players who earn six wins will automatically advance to day two. Players who lose four matches are eliminated from the tournament. Day two is double elimination. The top 12 from day one join Magic Pro League Divisional Champions from the War of the Spark split in a 16% double elimination showdown. Only four players will move on to Sunday. And Sunday is day three, top four double elimination. Four players compete in the true double elimination tournament. In the grand finals, the winners in the upper bracket and lower bracket will face off. The player in the lower bracket must win two matches to win the tournament, which is kind of cool. It's going to remind me a lot of uh, Evo. I don't rem- Did they do this style for the previous tournaments at all? I, I don't know if you guys know. Uh, it sounds sort of similar to the Mythic Invitational, but I think since that had fewer players, it was just always double elimination. Mm-hmm. So, like, it was basically the day two structure, but just for the whole tournament. Lots of money on the line. First place is 100k USD. Not chump change. Um, so, Elliot, are, are you picking people you think are good, or, or is their deck choice going to affect... Uh, actually, tell us your one of your picks. Or your MPL picks? One of my picks, I'll go with my top, uh, the player that came in the top four that I picked, which is Brad Nelson. Uh, and he was playing Esper Hero. So I may have, might have teased it with calling them geniuses for playing Mortify. Uh, but Brad Nelson's just like got to be a shoe in whenever a tournament has a good chunk of standard in it. And he has the huge advantage of being in the top 16 already. So I'm, I'm pretty confident Brad Nelson's effectively locked up a top four slot and uh, maybe the favorite to take it all down. Damn it. I mean, I'm, I'm going to have to go with you. I think the smart choice, that's also my lock for uh, our, our restri- on our restricted list is Brad Nelson. Just his win percentage with standard is ridiculous. And it was actually no surprise that he ended up winning the division, his division in the FPL. Andy, are you, are, we're going three for three, Brad, here. Who's the best metagamer on the planet? Who's the best standard player 
on the planet is Brad Nelson. <laughs> he's my pick. I thought it was a slam dunk. He's just the he's made for this baby. He's made for it. He does say, I think I'm I'm skimming his article. I can't wait to uh, have time to read it after the show. That he strongly believes that his deck list only has two bad matchups: Soltai Dreadboard and Esper Control, and that him having Elite Garbage is better against Mono Red Aggro, Mono White Aggro, Ghoul Aggro, Is It Phoenix, and Grixis Mid Range. Um, so. Andy, are you concerned that he's going to be at a disadvantage against some of these Esper controllers? I'm uh, not that concerned. He's Brad Nelson. He's incredible. He's like, he he knows what he's getting into, and like, it's it's like, have you ever been so confident or on such a heater that like you're playing against like your worst matchup? It's like ten percent, and you're like, God, I feel so sorry for this sucker. Going to lose his ninety percent matchup. I feel like that's kind of where Brad head, Brad's head's at. I think he'll uh, do well even with like the bad matchup. And like the bad matchup is not that bad. It's hard to be that bad. I think uh, I think he'll still do well. Uh, it's tough to play around Kaya's Wrath and the Planeswalkers like pressuring them and having Kaya's Wrath is like a tough squeeze. Plus, I think all, all the Esper decks play a bunch of uh, the Elder Spell. So I hope he can get uh, get around it all. All right, Elliot, who's, who's your uh, second pick? All right, so I'm going to mix it up. I'm going to skip past the rest of my MPL picks. I'm going to go into one of my challengers. Um, the first one I picked is Emma Handy. Uh, she's one of the ones, I think uh, her and Autumn Burchett are the two people playing Civic Nexus in the tournament. And I, again, I'm, I'm looping back to that first point I made about how when you can predict the meta in this type of tournament, it can give you a huge advantage. So... We, I think there's something like 26 Esper decks in the field, and there's some number of D-Sparks and only three Mortifies. So them playing this uh, Wilderness Reclamation deck that, you know, it, it looks shockingly similar to something that I, like, had from week one of the format. I think I'd, like, missed Narset and missed Nissa, and other than that, their main deck is... 74 of the 75 cards I had. So, you know, there's not a ton of innovation going on in their deck necessarily, but I think they've picked a really good deck for the weekend. I think that, uh, you know, there's there's maybe a handful of mono reds. I think it's like six or seven off the top of my head, but, you know, only one of the players on mono reds in the MPL. So, you know, obviously everyone in this tournament is is a good player, a strong player, but it's a maybe a little telling that the cream of the crop have shifted away from mono red, which is... Um, touted as being one of the worst matchups for the Simic Nexus deck. Uh, so I'm, I'm really interested in seeing how it does. I think there's like an all-time low of counter magic right now in this format. It's like Spell Pierce or Bust. The Esper decks don't have Absorb. Um, this could be like a really good chance for this deck to do really well. Um, and Emma Handy is like a fantastic player. She does great on the SCG Tour doing coverage. And she like, she won... She won an MCQ off of zero prep for this tournament and now is preparing with one of the best players in the world who's on a huge heater, Autumn Burchett, um, won the Pro Tour earlier. So I, you know, I, I think that this could be her weekend for a huge breakout above the SCG Tour. And uh, I'm really looking forward to seeing how well the two of them, but particularly Emma Handy does. That's a good call. And, and, I definitely want to see some some fresh faces, some challengers uh, kicking ass. 
So, so I'll continue with, with uh, a challenger pick of my own. I'm, I'm going really on um, picking on the deck I expect to do well. I think that um, you touched upon it with the Mortify thing, uh, Elliot. I wonder if this increases uh, the power that Mono Red will bring to the table since now there's even less Mortifies for Experimental Frenzy. So I am going to pick uh, Raph Levy, who is, as far as I know, a challenger in this. And uh, I just expect Mono Red to possibly have a bunch of good matchups and then just destroy everyone uh, because it is still one of the best decks. And I don't see, yeah, I, I see having it, even in its bad matchups, it's got, it's got that draw and, and with less Mortifies. I actually controlled F, like, I think you, you control F. You, you said there were three, and I only see three. So you mentioned the three who played. I'm going with Raph Levy as my pick. Uh, Andy, who's, who was one of your challengers? Um, I decided to pick uh, Kentaro Yamamoto. I ha was blown away that he wasn't in the MPL because if, I don't know if, if you've ever watched the Pro Tour, but he is doing well in every single one of them, it feels like. He's always like one of the feature drafters. You always get to watch him do a bunch of coverage. And I think uh, he's an incredible player who I've watched play myself a lot. And I think he uh, he's playing Boros Agro, which I'm not sure how well it's positioned, but I'm not sure I care. Kentaro Yamamoto, my pick. Lock it in. <laughs> it's like it doesn't matter. Ham sandwich, let's go. Um. Yeah, actually, yeah, because I actually worry about uh, how his deck is positioned since if I control F, 32, cry of the Carnariums. So, it's, uh, but, but, you know, never fear, right? <laughs> if he's on, he's on. 10%, who cares? Listen, he knew that there was going to be 32 cries coming into this tournament, and he didn't care. <laughs> so, so he still got my vote. Um, he's, he's playing – I. I was playing the mono white version, so obviously with red, Boros version, I think he's playing uh, Frenzy in the board, right? That that was popular on the SCG. Yeah, he's playing three Frenzy, so so that gives him more game um, against um, these Esper decks. So so we'll see. Uh, take it away, Elliot. Who's your next? Uh, so I guess I'll, I'll flip flop back to the MPL, and um, you know, a bit of a rewind. Uh, Andy, you picked Brad Nelson, and I picked Brad Nelson, and Carr picked Brad Nelson, and we didn't pick Brad Nelson just for his ability in the game. We picked him because you know he's going to get the right deck, and he's going to come with the right plan, and he's going to roll people with it. So I slam-dunked Seth Manfield, who's on the same 75 as him. It's just I got two Brad Nelsons on my team, baby. I skirted the rules. We said we could only have one. I got two. <laughs> I got someone told me the Seth Manfield story, and I wonder if you guys ever heard of this one. I, I wonder if this is even true. Like I, I heard so, someone told me the story about a GP uh, where him and his team were, were working on a deck, um, and then Seth stayed up until two a.m. and came up with a, a new deck that he ha hadn't played a single game yet, but somehow that deck had a huge edge against the team deck. And at the GP, like the top eight of the GP, like his teammates ended up being in the top eight and he ended up smashing all of them with his deck that was better. <laughs> so interesting story that, that I heard about him. I don't know what GP, I'm really curious if this actually happened and I have to look back um, at whatever GP 
they're talking about. Have you, had you guys ever heard of this story? I haven't heard that story, but I can tell you this one for free. Worlds 2015, I did a, a rotisserie draft. Uh, I think it, I think no money was put on the line, of course, because gambling on the results of a Magic tournament is against the rules of the Duelist Convocation International. Uh, but we did a draft where the 32nd pick of the draft, very last one, I was automatically handed Seth Manfield uh, as my choice. Uh, and of course, he went on to win the world championship and carry me to first place where I won no money, of course, because again, betting is illegal, according to the Duelist Convocation International, so I would never wager. Um, but yeah, so that was cool winning $60 because I got last pick Seth Manfield. So I'm, I'm risking it all on him again. I love it. Um, I'll go next. Back to the MPL. No surprise who I'm going to pick. One of my best friends. Alexander Hain, uh, who's been, who had the same exact two decks that he brought to the table as Strasky last time. And here again, he has, I believe, should be the exact same 75 as Strasky. Um, something I didn't know that I just learned while talking to Alex uh, this week is that Strasky is like now living in sort of this uh, gamer house with Stanislav Sivka. And um, that just reminds me of, of, those poker houses or people playing league together on that same house, jamming, having this like intense uh, trading of ideas and stuff. So this is what they ended up coming up with, uh, recognizing uh, that Narset is one of the best decks in the for uh, cards in the format. That's why Alex and Strasky have four copies, and they recognize the uh, lack of modifying format, which is why they have two Ixalan. Uh, binding in the main, so I think they came packed with some technology. Although, like some of it is not, is not surprising or new. Like Alex also said that Nightbell Predator is no longer secret, but he's got to in the sideboard. And again, I think he's one of the very best players in this tournament. I wouldn't be surprised to see him take this one down. So that's my second MPL pick. Uh, all yours, Andy. Well, I decided to uh, go out on the limb. I, I realized that like a few years ago, there was a player who was like perhaps the best player in the world, but someone just kept stealing player of the year from them and they're banned. So Seth Manfield, it's your time to shine, baby. I think he's uh, has the best deck in the room. And I think he's just, he's an incredible player. He's unbelievable. And I think uh, he's going to look nervous as hell as he's doing it, but he's going to kick a lot of people's asses. He's going to shuffle his deck like he's got brand new hands while sweating all over the place and taking names. He looks like a mess. I, I swear he could be like, have a lightning bolt that's uncounterable. Opponents already like dead. They've already lost the game. They've left the table. And he's just, he's, he's just always in the tank. He's always, he looks stressed. <laughs> all right, next up, Elliot, non-MPL. Non-MPL? Okay, my next non-MPL is Luis Scott Vargas, uh, which was, like, another slam dunk. He's, like, one of, if not the best Magic players of all time, which is maybe an entirely different discussion. Uh, he's definitely, I think, definitely top two at the very least. Uh, he showed up with Esper Control, which is, you know, I think something like 15 copies in the field. But when you can t when you can be one of the best players in the world, I think he's going to be pretty happy playing mirrors in a or even a, like a 55% deck. So I'm 
I'm expecting him to do really well. I haven't, I didn't go in depths of how well built his deck is. I don't know if it's like super tuned or, or not. I'm, I'm taking a peek now and he has like four one ofs in his main deck. That's always a good sign. Uh, <laughs> so he also has the technology of the night belt, night belt predator. So I think it's going to be, uh, not as not as much as a sleeper pick as Kai, who I think we were joking about it. He had like the pinnacle betting odds. He had like a hundred and four to one odds or something like that. Just insane. I don't know if I don't know if LSV is quite under that under the radar, but uh, it's it's tough not to pick one of the best players of all time in a tournament like this. Damn. I also want to pick him, but. Uh... I'm just gonna stick to my plan. Stick to my plan of uh, model red, and I'm gonna pick Penda Hall because he, he's on model red, and he happens to be a Canadian, so uh, extra reason for me to cheer for him. So, so that's my pick. Andy, on you. Like another one, a different, more another, because I already picked LSV. <laughs> he's the slam dunk. He's like the easiest pick you could imagine of the challengers it's it's like cheating you just get one of the best players of all time and he's a challenger big sleeper pick louis scott vargas <laughs> i'm so, so brave so far the only difference between elliot and eddie is yamamoto and emma Handy. okay elliot, Listen, next up. <laughs> elliot asked me for my list and i i i gave it to him <laughs> okay elliot, back back on the npl yeah, I'm hoping that Andy wasn't pranking me with this one, and this is actually on his list, because boy, am I going to look dumb if he doesn't have William Huey Jensen on his list. Uh, Huey's playing uh, the Gruel deck. More importantly, he's playing Skargan Hellkite, which I think is going to give him a huge edge against all the Planeswalker decks, like the Esper decks. Um, just a flying haste threat is like really good at mowing down Planeswalkers. Uh, it's also... Because it has the haste, he's also playing Rekindling Phoenix. It's going to insulate him again a lot against the Kai's Wraths. Um, you know, Esper Control has been doing really well the past couple weeks, but it's really not a deck that we saw for the first, like, half to two-thirds of this standard format. Before this, it was a lot of Esper Hero and not so many Kai's Wraths. And I think that the shift towards Control is really hurting the Gruel matchup, um, which I don't even know was that great in the first place. So... I'm really looking for Huey to, Huey to do really well. And, you know, rewind to what I said before with LSV, Huey's like a top five player of all time as well. He's just great at magic. He has like a probably a very fine deck because he's, you know, in the MPL playing magic nonstop and um, slam dunk it. I've, I'm like five picks so far, all slam dunks. So I, I can't believe you guys haven't matched me perfectly yet. Man, I thought you were going to keep the trifecta. I thought you were actually going to go for uh, BBD. I can't. I would have. I would have, but it's all right. Oh, yeah. He also got it. My bad. My bad. Yeah. KYT, type in quickly to change his pick right now. (laughs) I thought about picking BBD anyway, even if it's against the rules. Can I I forfeit my my third challenger pick to get BBD? (laughs) (laughs) I was going to. Oh, man. There's a lot of good picks for the the final pick. Like, I, I can. Like you said, Huey, one of the best players of all time. Um, it's hard. Um, I also do not want to not pick the current world champion, Javier Dominguez, because he's awesome. But 
Matt, I got to give Shota Yasuoka some love here um, because his list kind of looks funky. Um, I mean, I haven't seen a list like this before where he's like playing Esper Control with two Bullet Citadels, two Revitalize in the main, I, I imagine, um, just in case he's, he's against Small Red. But uh, have you guys seen this list? Have you guys seen anything like it? No, I, I guess not. Like, he always, like, has the extra tweak. Um, yeah, the Bolus' Citadels are, like, super, super interesting. He has, like, Revitalize as well. This list is just so wild. And the thing with Shota is, like, he's one of those masters that typically doesn't prepare much for tournaments. And I don't know how much he streams, how much he plays Arena, because, um, like... I think he streams quite a bit, but it's during the odd hours of the night for us, so I, I don't really get to catch it very often. But if he's, like, tuned in, playing a ton of standard, then he's definitely someone to look out for. This is a good pick, I think. I mean, yeah, I want to see this Shoto's one of those people who shows up with an unbelievable turn uh, deck for a tournament, and it's an absolute stink pile for every second after. So I think he's a... Uh, one of those good metagamers. So uh, maybe he's a good pick. I mean, I agree with you, Andy. I think a, a lot of times it's not, it's not because, I mean, it's a mixture of him being a master and him being able to, to read the room because like once he does well with it, we don't really see that deck proliferate to, to like do really well in other tournaments often a lot of time. Yeah, like his last two top eights were like a Grixis control deck and blue black dragons in the world of Esper dragons. And both those decks were unplayable immediately after the tournament, but he did top eight them both. Yeah, I think I think you're right. I think I like that point you made that, that he, he's able to read the room because I don't think it's just because he's like a, a master and that you're playing his creations terribly. It's just they just they're just not great after that tournament. Uh, go ahead, Elliot. It's important to note that he also is a master, which is just like to add it all on top. Um, but what I was going to say is that, you know, maybe I guess it's like five weeks now. I don't know the exact timeline. We saw the Command the Dreadhorde decks pick up because it was a way to just go over the top of everyone in the mid range slash control matchups. But, you know, maybe the next innovation is Bolsa Citadel. Maybe this is his way to, like, skirt around Command the Dreadhorde, which he's also playing, and just go, like, mega over the top of everyone, which, when the field is almost half Esper Control, or Esper Midrange even, I think it's, like, this could be brilliant. This could be, like, the greatest mind in our generation, not just magic-related. Who knows? Do you think his teammates were, like... Shota, you can't play Command the Dreadhorde and Bolus' Citadel. And he's like, ah, fine, I'll play two Revitalize. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Actually, I think it's, I think I'm wrong about Revitalize being there for, for, for aggro. I think it's like, it needs to be there for Command and Bolus alone. Um, Look, they give you 20 life and you only need one at the end of the game. I just want to, I just want to take. I don't have an Esper deck built on Arena yet, but man, I want to play this list the most now. Um, so so I, I got my pick. So uh, what's your last MPL pick, Andy? Are we doing last non-MPL? Wait, you shot uh, to MPL? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I've both three MPLs so far. Okay, my last MPL pick is uh, Marcio Carvalho. Ooh. If it wasn't for like 
the fact that he has like had a shady reputation, he would just be the slam dunk best player in the world right now. It's that that's the only thing keeping him from being that. He dominates more than any player at like by a long shot currently. So I think uh, he's a pretty safe pick, and uh, you guys are dumb for not picking him. But I understand Kari are contractually obligated to pick Alex. So oh, yeah. you have an excuse. But yeah, even even talking to Alex, Alex has immense respect for Marcio. Like, even with the sketchy pass, he said like he's one of those players that like is still a master. Um, considering that he's a, I've watched, he, he's ungoddamn believable. <laughs> it's like perhaps the best player in the game. If it wasn't for, if he had no bad reputation, I think people would just be like, yeah, Marcio's the best player in the world right now. Kind of similar to what Owen was before. He would just be the consensus best player in the world right now. Like that, that Elliot reaction there, a facial reaction. Um, and like his list follows a lot of the stuff that I like from the Strasky Hain list for Narsets, two commands, Red Horde, uh, instead of one. So, and two Bell Haunts. So a lot of, I'm loving that, that construction. Um, and so we, we have one more non-NPL uh, pick, Elliot, right? So go ahead. Uh, my last, my sixth and final selection is Honey Andre Strosky. Uh He's just consistently killing it on the arena ladder. He's playing Esper Hero, which is, you know, surprise, surprise, the same list as Brad Nelson and Seth Manfield. Not not quite the same list, a little different, but um, much of the same game plan. He has the Ixalan's bindings. Uh, like, he's like big brain three hero of Precinct, one, one Kai's Wrath in the main deck. Like, when I mentioned earlier with, you know, LSV had three one-ofs in his deck, so you know it's good. This is, like, next-level brain-boggling deck building. You know he's played, like, thousands of matches to get to this point because it's so weird. You got to trust it. He's been number one, number two, number three on the arena ladder, like, all month long. I think he's going to kill it. Okay, I'm going to have to share a pick with with, with Elliot because Strasky's basically the non-NPL twin of Alex. Same 75, so he's a slam for me as well for, for the reasons that Elliot mentioned. He's been putting in the works, but the the now, like, really old joke of him tweeting that he's retiring and crushing the tournament, um, he even fit that in to the trailer, um, promoting this event trailer video, um, but, and that's my last pick. So uh, what's, your, what's your last one, Andy? If you want something sweet, you got to add a little honey. So I picked Andre Strasky. He's uh, really in tune to the metagame, I think. And uh, all his arena streams are very good. And I think they're, the list that Alex and him are playing is a very good list. So he is my pick. Very brave pick. So how, how are you guys different again? So you have Yamamoto and... It's Yamamoto Marcio. versus V Handy. And uh, Marcio versus... I can't even imagine who he'd pick over it, so I forgot. Uh, Huey Jensen, ever heard of him? Yeah, he's he's like he's adorable, but he's not a slam dunk best player in the world right now. Uh, Look, I've never seen Marcio Carvalho's dog, but Lyra. Yeah, Lyra. Lyra was just off my list. Very cute, very good pup. Good girl. Um, last time, like half of the top four was uh, Challengers and, and half was NPL with the, uh, of the Invitational with uh, 
the finals being both NPL. So, so it'll be interesting how it breaks down. Um, does this does the Swiss style favor the MPL players much more than double elimination? Probably does, right? Just give them more matches. Can you imagine Marcio yeah. only has to play six matches and he's done? <laughs> they also oh, have like on. four four lo- or three losses to give on day one, right? Four losses eliminates you. So I think that you know switching to this style versus double elimination, I think we're going to see a lot less cannibalization of the MPL players. And, you know, again, I, I, I touched on it earlier, all of the challengers absolutely deserve to be there. They're all dedicated magic players who care a lot about the game. And of course, they're going to have to spend a lot of time preparing for this. So it's not like I'm expecting the MPL players to, you know, be a hundred percent of the top 16 that are in day two. Uh, but when it comes to a tournament like this, the MPL players are going to be the 32 best players in the world, give or take. So it's hard not to expect an MPL player to win or the MPL to do well in general. Yeah. My, uh, my, like my heart pick is I would really love to see Emma Handy do well because uh, she's, I don't know. She's just such a good player and she's such a great voice for magic. And I think she's on a pretty good deck and she hasn't had the results nearly as, as like good as she is. So I would love to see her break out on a stage where you can win a hundred thousand dollars. <laughs> Uh, Elliot, one question before we, we quickly wrap the show with some modern talk. Um, none of us picked anybody playing Is It Phoenix, and Is It Phoenix is being piloted by at least a handful of players. Uh, what do you think? How well do you think the deck will do? Uh, I think Is It Phoenix is like a pretty poor choice for this weekend. Uh, it, for a while, would really beat up on the Esper Hero decks, but um, we've seen the Esper Hero decks move towards D Spark, and then Esper Hero also transitioned to the Esper Control deck, which has more answers to the bigger threats like Crackling Drake, uh, fewer copies of Tyrant Scorn, which was nearly a blank, only killing Goblin Electromancer. Very important, but not a big threat. Um, And additionally, copies of like Cry of the Carnarium when the big issue in the past was Arclight Phoenix. So uh, I know, as you know, Esper's only like half of the field, but it is half of the field. So to do really well, and be a dog, or perhaps a dog in a matchup that was formerly really good, I, I don't think it's going to do well. I think it's also a little telling. I, I don't have the metagame breakdown in front of me, but someone had done a, um, the breakdown of MPL players on a deck versus challenger players, and you know, Mono Red was something like one MPL and five or six challengers. Is it Phoenix was another one of those decks that was really dominated by challengers. And you know, as, as much credit as I'm going to give to the challengers do, who definitely did their homework preparing, it's a little telling if very few or zero MPL players are gravitating towards this deck. Do you have the same conclusion, Andy? Is it yeah. Phoenix a bad choice? I feel like is it Phoenix is sort of like Jund matchup-wise, except your cards aren't good. So I think it's not going to do that well. I think it kind of preys on its really good draws being really good, and its medium draws are kind of bad. You five go to lead with it, though. Yeah. <laughs> Pure luck. On the other hand, with the tournament structure, you have three losses to give on day one, and then day two is double elimination. So you have quite a bit of leeway in this tournament compared to a different tournament structure. And, you know, when we had Dan on the show a couple weeks ago, one of the things he mentioned is when you play a long tournament, there's going to be the two or so rounds where you don't draw your Arclight Phoenixes. And, you know, the tournament being more rounds and more losses to give, it might line up better for the Arclight Phoenix decks if 
he, they have that that fail rate buffer in the tournament that they can have their deck fail a few times and they're not out of it. Yeah, I can dig it. That was always my, my issue with the deck, why I didn't love it. And even Jess Estefan, not, it's, it's been a popular thing today on Twitter to do summoning circles. And she tweeted, she hoped this works. Three Arclight Phoenix in the top 15 cards. That's her summoning circle. So if she has that, hey, she's got, she might crush the tournament. Um, so let, let's go down to Modern, where everyone's talking about the, the hot new deck, Hogat, Hogart? Hogat? How do you pronounce Hogak. this? Hogak. Holy crap. Hogak. English is a tenth language over here. Chupa Kababra. Uh, Hogak. Bridgevine taking over. Everyone thinks it's the best deck. Um, everyone on my Facebook feeds, Twitter feeds talking about it. Even at the at the local store, people are like, clearly the best deck. Um, what are your thoughts, Andy, as you jumped back into the modern world? Yeah, I decided to play a few leagues with it. And my opponent went uh, turn one Leyline turn two chalice for one, and then turn three exiled my graveyard with like a relic, and I just absolutely crushed them. And then I was like, yeah, this deck's probably stone cold busted. And as the more and more I played with it, it's wild. Like your bad draws can just play an 8-8 on turn two that has trample. And a lot of the time, they're just dead. It's the amount of times I killed on turn three, and it was easy money to kill on turn three was way higher than any deck I've ever played in modern. You just kill on turn three so much. So you, you think this deck is gone? It's, oh yeah. It's the, well, when's the first time they're allowed to ban it? That's when it's going to get banned. Uh, July I would be 8th. so surprised if they didn't ban it immediately. Yeah. July 8th is the scheduled ban list update. And then the Pro Tour is, I think, July 28th, if that makes sense on a calendar. The, the deck lists were so new on Moto, and it was like 10 of the 32. That doesn't happen when decks are fleshed out. This deck's absolutely one of the best decks I've ever seen in Modern. And it's played so many new cards. Well, our friend John, Brave Soul, decided to play some Neo Forum. He's been... Uh, he actually did some videos for, for the Face-to-Face Games YouTube channel, and he's been saying that the latest deck is, is a turn two deck, and, and I wonder if his list is able to race. I, I think he thinks it's, it feels pretty good. So, um, But outside of the, what do you think, Andy? So, like, every time I've watched the Neoform deck, they, like, I've seen them play a turn one Grizzlebrand, then they, like, Summoner's Pack to do something, and then they die. They just kill themselves. So, like, sometimes I feel like I'm not fully understanding how the deck wins that often. I get it just, like, Lab Maniacs itself, but I'm not, I'm not that big of a believer in that deck. It doesn't look that good to me. I think uh, it may kill on turn two, like, sometimes. Probably kills on turn three sometimes, but I think it's a big old stink pile a lot of the time. It's probably just like a, a slightly better Grishol brand, which is probably why the GOG is all over it. And I think uh, the the Hogak deck just kills on turn three like, I don't know, 60% of the time or for higher. It could even be higher. I'm, I'm no math wizard, but I killed on turn three all the goddamn time. So maybe, maybe, like, John thinks that, okay, so Hogak is, is dead for sure, but I think John feels Neoform is also just as broken. Um, 
like the people I've talked to feel like, it, like you said, that it's just, uh, it's just has a huge, really high fail rate. Uh, but then John goes on in his video to mention that he's played 200 matches with the deck and he feels like it can go off turn one, turn two, 30% of the time. Because um, he's the luck king. He topped the GP with Grishol brand. What's the guy? He's the gall, the god of luck. Whoa! I gotta show. I gotta show this part. Um, so he feels that th that that is is also going to be a problem if it's uh, left uh, unbanned. So pretty interesting time. And I, I saw Edgar uh, doing some devoted druid shenanigans. I, I, I jumped on, on on his stream. Uh, Elliot, you've checked that out. Yeah, I've been watching a bunch of Edgar's stream, and he's uh, done some really good work innovating on this list. He's he's playing some wild ones now. I think he has. I think it's called Winding Way. It's it's a card from the new set that's like uh, look lets you like mill the top four and put all of either creatures or lands in your hand. So just churning through your deck to assemble the Devoted Druid combo with Eladomri's Call, uh, Finale of Devastation. Uh, you know, I I think I watched like his first stream when he initially picked up the deck, and he was between his leagues earlier in the day and the couple he played on stream a, a final record of twenty three and two. Uh, so he had nearly back-to-back-to-back five O's. His only loss was to burn in that stretch. Um, so I think the deck is just like very, very good in this sort of Hogak uh, warped metagame. It's like it's really hard to be playing Lightning Bolt and Fatal Push against the Hogak deck. It's just attacking at such a different angle on the format that this Devoted Druid deck can kind of slip through the cracks now and... Um, take advantage of the really low creature removal. I think it's also another reason why we're seeing Storm and Infect do relatively well when uh, typically those decks aren't very good. Um, so, you know, I'm I'm in the camp that Hogak should be banned come July 8th or maybe even sooner if they want to do an emergency ban list and give people a bit more time before the Pro Tour to prepare. Um, I also do think the Allosaurus Rider deck should be banned. And... Um, that just goes back to when it was initially found out when we had that month or so stretch of the London Mulligan rule being on Magic Online, where the deck initially took off and then fell off the face of the earth when we returned to the Vancouver Mulligan rule. And people pointed out that there's a huge discrepancy in the power level of the deck when it gets to do the London Mulligan. Uh, now, John has played, you said something like 200 matches. He tweeted that his... Turn three, or turn one, and turn two kill rate combined is something between uh, 22 and 39 percent. Uh, is his 95 percent confidence interval? So something like 30 percent of the time is going to kill on turn one and turn two. And this is with the Vancouver Mulligan rule. So I don't know exactly how much it's going to improve with the London Mulligan, but I think it's pretty clear, pretty established. The consensus is it does improve. So. I'm I'm very afraid if I'm Wizards of the Coast going into this Pro Tour and having, you know, it's not it's not quite the namesake Pro Tour for this new Mulligan rule, but it is the beginning of it being uh, established permanently. Uh, it's, it's coming into effect with Core 2020. So this is like the first major event with a new Mulligan rule. And to see it dominated by the combo decks, which is one of the community's big responses to the change of the Mulligan rule is that combo decks will dominate. I, I think it just looks really bad for Wizards of the Coast if that happens. And Hogak's not quite 
the the colorless Eldrazi level. It's not going to dominate to that extent, I don't think. But again, it just looks really bad on them if they have this pseudo Eldrazi type tournament where it could be dominated potentially. And they knew about it beforehand and didn't do anything. So I think for the sake of uh, sort of like the community believing in them to continue to make good decisions, I think they need to ban these. Does it need to happen before July 8th to give people time? Is, is three weeks enough for people to acquire cards and prepare for a modern pro tour? It's kind of cutting it close. So, you know, maybe they hedge their bets and don't ban anything. I don't know. I, I just hope they do. I think it's going to be really boring to watch Hogak versus Allosaurus Rider and Hogak versus Hogak for the entire tournament. There was like a moment in the last pro tour where uh, somebody had like started the game with three Leyline of the Voids versus Dredge, and the commentators had like five seconds of, oh wow, he got his his big Leyline of the Void, and then the rest of the game was absolutely stone boring. And I really don't want to watch. Do they have Leyline of the Void or not? The musical. <laughs> Any final thoughts on modern, Maddie? That was great, Elliot. It's bad and it should be banned. <laughs> like this is perhaps the worst modern format I've ever seen. It's <laughs> the ships passing in the night is just all you're allowed to do because fair decks stand no goddamn chance against these unfair decks. That's how good they are. So I don't know. I, I would love to see uh, someone post on Twitter like a modern red wedding where they uh, just kill a bunch of cards and call it a day, and then the modern format will be fresh for the Pro Tour. But, uh, yeah, I, I'm i struggling to like modern. I'm struggling. I'm still on Is It Phoenix. JRT posted a pretty sweet list. And Aria Flame is a great addition to the deck. But uh, Hogak, too does good. He mention, does he mention how good it is in, in, in this world? I think it's actually fine because you play three main deck surgicals okay. and against the other linear decks, Lava Dart's insane. So you play two Lava Dart and then uh, in the sideboard, you just like get to shore up your matchups against either. So it's actually, this is a Phoenix deck is actually fine. It's just, uh, Hogak is so broken. I, God, I hope they ban it. I couldn't imagine them just being like, we'll let this one ride out the pro tour. God, that'd be so stupid. Um, <laughs> what the, I oh, will yeah. admit though the Colorless Eldrazi Pro Tour was kind of fun to watch but like, despite its uh, absurdity it was kind of sweet to see a bunch of these Eldrazi decks just smash haymakers at each other but like the Hogak deck's not interesting to watch at all it's just like oh he's milled himself he has a bridge the opponent's dead the yeah edge. I I totally agree. I thought the Color of Soldrazi format, or not the format rather, but the Pro Tour when it first broke out, uh, and seeing like the adaptations, like the Blue Red Eldrazi deck, it was wild seeing this deck do well, full of basically draft commons. And I thought it was a lot of fun to watch, but the big issue was that the the two, three months afterwards where the format was just dominated by Eldrazi was really boring to watch. It sucked. And, and we're not... I think we're past the point of the colorless Eldrazi breakout weekend in terms of how fun it is to watch. And we're into the three, four months of this is getting really boring and repetitive. And I don't want to see this anymore with the Hogak deck already. So I'm, I'm hoping it gets the ax. 
Yeah, like at least the Colossal Eldrazi wasn't like a combo deck that just ended the game immediately. And like the games were kind of interesting and there was like some tension points. But oh god, a reality smasher. Oh god, he's got triple mimic. Does he have a follow up? Like that was kind of interesting to watch. But I don't think Hogak can provide as interesting of games. And like same with the Allosaurus Rider deck. Like, oh, he's put seven more cards I can't see into his hand. What could they be? The Eldrazi Mirror was actually kind of interesting to watch also, even going later into the format with the blue-white deck, just because um, it was just trying to go over the top of each other with Displacer and Drowner. And at the Pro Tour with the Colorless deck, it was, you know, they were playing creatures, gotten huge board stalls, all that stuff. The Hogak Mirror is just someone going to play an Altar of Dementia and mill a guy. That's all there is to it. Someone's going to get milled out. There's no way to get around it. And uh, have fun watching that, I guess. It's going to be interesting because there's no uh, the modern MCQs is like next month, but I got a plug this weekend, this Saturday. There's two face-to-face games.com open. There's one in Saskatoon and there's one in Hamilton. Um, there's going to be a lot of degeneracy happening on Saturday. Wouldn't be surprised if the decks we talked about just completely dominate the tournament and become the story of uh, the Saturday. Lots of magic also. There's also uh, Magic Fest Seattle going on. Um, I wanted to finish uh, with this, actually. I was tweeted by uh, Manny Henderson on Twitter, at one man of Manny, who uh, I think approached you to play some Rocket League, right, Andy? Yeah, we played a bunch of Rocket League, actually. <laughs> <laughs> sweet, sweet fan of the show. One of my reaction to uh, Kibler, Kibler's video on organized play. I watched it. Um, I think that he had a lot of the same thoughts that, that we've had on the show um, about why the MPL isn't uh, a success. And it's interesting to hear his perspective, considering he was one of the commentators for some of the MPL weeks, at least one of the first few. And, uh, yeah, he just mentioned some of the stuff that we've talked about where you know they're showing recorded matches where they don't even have the webcams of these players. So... We, we can't see the players' reactions, and the the point of the MPL is to sort of build personalities, build star power, build brand. But he did make a good point, like, even with webcams, like, how much does a reaction really tell you or, or make you root for a certain player? And he talked about, whereas in Hearthstone, uh, they have post-game interviews, and, and Kevler mentioned, like, even if they pre-recorded some post-game interviews because of... The problem is, like, it's like a global thing, and some players have to play each other at a certain time, and so they might have to pre-record something to, to make sure it, it syncs. Um, but I, I don't know if you have thoughts on that. How would you guys make uh, the MPL so you would you or, or the audience would, would care more about the personalities? I don't know if anyone, either of you want to jump in? I think that... Um... The really the big fault is that Magic's not quite at the big enough stage that there's not enough money in it to get people to move. Uh, one of the biggest boons, I think, of the more traditional esports like League of Legends, Dota, uh, StarCraft is that you have everyone in one place. You know, for League of Legends, everyone in North America moves to uh, Los Angeles to play all their matches. And so uh, the fact that you can get the live experience, that you can get the... Um, you know, live matches, nothing's pre-recorded like that is a real benefit. I don't think it's possible to have players 
uh, representing all of the regions in one circuit and still have that much of a set, like to get that still live excitement. And it's not, it's like not reasonable to ask players from Japan to move to North America really. And I don't think it's reasonable to ask players from Japan to stay up at four in the morning to play their MPL match against someone in, in New York or something. So it's, I think it's a really awkward position because I think it's very important to get that live excitement. It's like one of the reasons that makes the pro tour so good is that you have everyone in one place. I think one of the, my favorite memories over the past years when Autumn Burchett won the pro tour, um, and I happened to be there was seeing Emma Handy and um, some of the other people that are part of that, that friend group, that circle just run over and tackle them and you know, everyone's crying. Everyone's so happy for Autumn and just seeing that emotion live. They covered it, I think, pretty well on camera as well. We got a good glimpse of it. And just seeing that emotion live was really important to me. And that's something that we see also in traditional esports and traditional sports when it's that live head-to-head matchup. Um, and I, I just don't think it's possible or feasible for them to recreate that in the MPL play without like a total restructure to split into like regions kind of thing, which I don't even know if that's a good idea to do. Yeah, I'm, I'm like excited for this event because they're like, well, you said they're all going to be there. It's like really clear cut what they're playing for. 100K up top, pretty insane prize, um, life-changing uh, money for a lot of people. And we're going to get to see the emotions of these players. Um, but uh Something that Alex uh, talked to me on on the cast I did with him was interesting to me from a viewer's per- perspective, casual viewer, that in in Magic, it's not like in other, like the example, he, the comparison he made was to like tennis or other sports where it's really obvious um, what elite play uh, might be versus a noob or, or less than elite or just strong play. So like for a casual viewer, the, the experience of watching someone that's like at the very top, like a Huey Jensen and LSV, a Ben Stark or someone, some of the very top players. Um, and if you swap them for one of the challengers, I mean, the, the difference in skill won't, I don't think this doesn't really matter to the entertainment of, of most viewers. So I think that's why it's there's also that challenge compared to other games, and, and that's why um, you know, these streamers with their with their personalities just have a big following, than bigger following than people with with uh, higher skill. Okay, Elliot, you have one more question. What's what's your question? So my question for you guys, and I'm going to extend it to the First Strike Nation if uh, people watch this before the weekend. Uh, this weekend is an SCG that I believe is in Philadelphia, and the format is uh, modern, non-unified, constructed. So you can play three modern decks. It doesn't matter how much they overlap. You can, if you wanted, show up and play three Hogak decks. Uh, so my question to you guys, I want to know is how many Hogak decks do you think are going to be in the top eight? The max is 24. What do you guys, do you think it's going to be like, I don't know. My my guess personally, before you guys get in there, I think it's like 14. I think there's going to be multiple decks with more than a Hogak player. And I, I would guess at least one team will play three Hogak decks in the top eight. I would take the under only because modern cards are expensive. If it was like online, I'm in. 
Where, where is this? Philadelphia. It's an SCG. Is it really this weekend? Uh, I, I'm 99% sure it's this weekend. I'm going to look really dumb if it's not this weekend. I don't think uh, you looking really dumb really matters whether or not it's this weekend. Is that really the format? No, no limitations. Are we, are we yeah, it's or, it's. Are we fact checking? Oh, it's next. It's next weekend. Pittsburgh's twenty nine and thirty. Okay, next weekend. How many Hogak decks? That's a whole extra week to get decks. Yeah, never mind. Twenty four. <laughs> Yeah, so I mean, the 29th to 30th, Team Modern, not unified. You can play whatever you want. But Andy, it, it, there's always a percentage of people who are like John who are just going to play Neoform. Yeah, and they will lose. <laughs> I like how the one week John's not here, I just put him on a pike. Yeah. <laughs> it's not going to be quick. If the over-under is what, what, Elliot, you said that what? I said, okay, I will, if, if we have an extra week, if we have an extra week, I'm going to put 16 and a half. Under, for sure under. Uh, under, I'll take the under. I'll take the under at 14 even, I think. Really? I'll take it at 13.9. I think people just, I don't know. People are like John, man, or, or they're just going to they're gonna play blue-white, they're going to play devoted druid. There's going to be some mix uh, in there. but I guess, I guess 16 was pretty egregious. I'm looking pretty dumb at 16. I think 14 was actually pretty accurate. 14, 14, I think we might push. I'll still take the under. <laughs> it's possible that the teams that go three Hogak end up dog crushing the field. True. I don't know, but you, you're convincing me there's other decks, like this devoted Druid deck. You're saying it's, it's crushing also in the hands of Edgar. Yeah, but it's not even crushing Hogak that much. I imagine he's going down. I wonder what his configuration is. Edgar just has what? such strong hands. Is it like him on devoted Druid with like? I said he he said it was very likely that his team, whatever they play, will just be triples triples. So whatever they play, they're going to play three. I think. Yeah, I mean, when you have a t when you have a team of very really strong players, which obviously Ed Edgar will end up on being a very strong player himself, uh, sort of like the bias towards decks stops happening as much. I think so that that really gives them the edge to go three x of a deck. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, but you know, like a team could top eight playing two Hogak decks in a standard deck. That's how busted Hogak is. You just give someone Esper Hero with like four main deck rest in peace, and just like maybe they get paired against Hogak, and they'll just like crush them, and your Hogak decks just roll the rest of the field. It's easy. <laughs> All right, that wraps us up. Um, we should subscribe, like, um, go. To Go to patreon.com slash first strike. Go to, I don't know, just subscribe to us on, on your favorite podcast app. We'll check on to see who's right. Uh, for once, I, I'm jumping in the fray against these two. Uh, as opposed to, we've got to review our top fives, especially with top five core sets coming up. That We've got to do that. So I, I wonder, I, I don't remember what you guys picked, but I wonder who won uh, the last one. And uh, yeah, we'll see you all next time. Ciao, guys.